takes just as much energy to do a big deal as it does a small deal, right? What's the average profit you guys usually make on flipping a house? I'm trying to make 40. You know, on the ground up side, you're probably going to double that from like 80 to 100. I mean, you're 29 and you've done $30 million of development so far. How do you as a developer make money? There's really three big things you have to master. You got to understand your construction costs. The debt structure is one of the most important things as well. The third component is then What's up, Wealth Builders? Today, I've actually got somebody from our coaching program who is doing things that we don't usually teach too much. He's actually doing development and he's doing it at 29 years old with over $30 million worth of apartments developed. His family has actually built the number one rated resort in Oregon, which actually includes a golf course. So I'm going to pick his brain today about developing amazing properties because you guys know I want to one day develop a golf course. I got Dirk Vandervelt. What's up, man? How's it going, Ryan? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you came, dude. It's exciting um, to have a guy who's built a golf course on the show. Well, like your family and you've been a part of it. I mean, you've seen it firsthand and like, let's get, let's jump right into that, dude. Yeah, I didn't build it myself, but I watch, you know, I watch my, my father and mother do it there. My father was a European tour player. Yep. Mother was a school teacher, big dreamers, always big dreamers. We grew up in the Netherlands. And once my dad retired from the European tour, his next dream was to build his own golf course. So in their fashion, right, a European tour player and a school teacher who are big, big dreamers, they partnered up with one of their best friends and they built what is today. Actually, this year got voted the number one resort in the Pacific Northwest. And what's that resort called? It's called Tethero Resort. Yeah. And so they built the actual course on there and then like the resort itself, it's mainly just hotel and do people like live there or anything? Yeah, yeah, they live there. So it's it's a it's a golf course, beautiful golf course. You'd love it. Yeah. It's Scotch Link style. David McClay kid, he designed it. And it's a membership base. So people live there. It's a, on a 720 acre piece of property. There's members that live there year round. And then there's 50 hotel rooms, boutique, beautiful hotels, mm. restaurants, rec center, as well as vacation rentals. So how are like the economics on all that? Because I mean, like your family, like you said, your dad's a dreamer. He grew up literally like playing golf professionally. So he knows like what that's all about. And Oregon's a beautiful spot. You know, how do you just all of a sudden decide to go build a golf course and like a hotel along with it? Yeah, it, was, it all, my dad always jokes that like it happened. He's a developer by default. So when we first moved over, he, we moved over from the Netherlands, 2005. He finished, he finished his European tour playing. Then he coached for the Netherlands. So he became a coach, coached the, the, the Dutch Federation, took them to a World Cup. They won the World Cup in golf, said, okay, that's a big accomplishment. What's next? So he wanted to start a golf course. So he got, he came over. We used to vacation from the Netherlands. We would vacation in central Oregon. It's a destination town, yep. beautiful place. Yep. And slowly but surely, every time we would go there, my mom and dad would dream about moving there right? They would dream about moving there every, every year they would talk about it. And so then the idea came, Hey, let's, let's develop a golf course here. He got originally, he got hired on as the developer's representative for the golf course. So he came on and he was there working with David McClay kid and his team as the development representative sculpting the golf course, talking about what they should do, where they should put the bunkers, how they should lay out the greens, right? So he sculpted that and it took him from 2005 to 2008 to get everything built, built the golf course, get the plats, and then boom, the original developer as 2008 hits, the original developer goes into default. We were packing up all of our boxes. We were actually going to move back to the Netherlands. My dad lost his job, 
we're going to move back to the Netherlands. And then through a series of conversations and relationships, the bank who actually took over the golf course reached out to him and said, hey, can you help us sell this thing? Mm. He, he said, yeah, I'll help you sell it. And a light bulb went off in his head. One of his best friends who did really, really well in oil always wanted a golf course. Mm -hmm. So in a three-month period, he brought his friend over. They looked at it purchased it. And then, like he says, he was a developer by default. <laughs> he just built around it. Yeah. They, they bought, they bought the course, the clubhouse, nothing else was done yet. The, they had like three homes that were sold and then step-by-step step, they built the hotels, they built the rec centers, they sold the lots. And as everything came out of 2008, they ended up on the, the right side of it and yeah. it's turned out to be good. So they still own it to this day. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they just make cash flow from the business on the course and the hotel and everything. Yeah. The, I mean, the biggest thing is the membership, right? Yeah. That's your biggest reoccurring. How much is the membership fee there? Yeah. So I think it's too low, but I think right now it's like $650 for a golf membership monthly. Yep. Yep. There's a, you know, that's very a, cheap. Yeah. That's what I would say. There's a deposit fee that goes in and then for a social membership, it's three or 400 bucks. So, and then what's like the initiation fee? It's a $50,000 non-refundable. Okay. Yeah. So 50K to join, which very normal in a lot of nice courses. And then, you know, 650 a month is cheap. Yeah. The, the, so when you develop your course, one thing that, you know, I've looked at all those master plan developments, they get dictated by something called the CCNRs, your yep. covenants, you, you already know about it. Yep. The HOA. Yep. The HOA, et cetera. Well, one of the challenges was the original developer had written into those CCNRs that you could only increase the dues by 4% every year. Oh. Well, you we were in a we were in a bad economic time, right? So yep. you know, rather than increase dues, we were just trying to get people to just to, to move pay. There. <laughs> so the the key would have been once the problem is once you record those and people start buying, you have to get like depending on the document either 75% of the homeowners to vote for adjusting them, amending them, or sometimes it's even 90. The key would be when you develop your resort, you don't tie it to a 4%. You just tie it to CPI, right? You can increase dues tied to the CPI yeah, and it automatically happens every year so that you don't fall behind on your, you know, yeah. on your membership growth. It would be, we would probably be talking $1,500 a month, $1,600 a month if it was tied in that manner, right? Mm -hmm. So I would yeah, say Yeah, a lot of the courses I'm in are 1500 to 2000 bucks a month. Which is where it would be if yeah. it was- if the raises were happening or it was tied to CPI, right? Then you get, once you're, once you're stuck, you're kind of stuck. So, yeah. yeah you gotta. Well, I'll tell you, it's one of the things I love about real estate is that, you know, you take, okay, in this case, a piece of land in the middle of Oregon, right? And so some guy looks at it one day and it's like, this would be a great spot for a golf course. Yeah. I'm going to build a business on here. Then a real estate guy looks at it and is like, well, we should build some houses. We should build a hotel. We should build another business. And it's like, it's just this one plot of land, whatever someone imagines ends up becoming the business. Yeah. And that's what like attracts me so much to developing a golf course community one day is like, you know, let's just say you go get this amazing piece of land in Oregon, for instance, and you can go get it for 10 million bucks. And all of a sudden you could go literally create a billion dollars of value on this piece of land. You build the right homes, you get the right you know, amenities, you get the right businesses on it. I mean, you could create a billion dollars of like economic value. It's not hard to do. Well, I don't want to say it's not hard, but it's like, it's very feasible. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. That's the, that's even my addiction on the ground up game too, right? You take an idea. Yeah. 
you see if it's financially feasible, and then you get to bring it to life every single day. And there's nothing like doing that. It's it's an addicting process. And there is a lot of equity creation there, right? A lot. Yeah. I mean, a ton, both on, if you do it on a single family side, right? Let's say you're going to flip a house. Flipping a house, what's the average profit you guys usually make on flipping a house? We aim for 10%. 10%. So what in a number th- like 30 Yeah. Grand, so I mean, if, if our grand. average house, the median house right now is 400 grand. So we're trying to make 40. Yeah. Make 40 on a ground up game you know, on the ground up side, you're probably going to double that more like 80 to a hundred, right? Now yeah. it's going to take a little bit longer, probably double the time. You're not going to be able to just put lipstick on it, but there's a definitely a lot more equity creation in there. There's a lot more profit in there. Yeah. If you do it right. Yeah. The thing I like about development too I, you know, so this is all my theory and yeah. talking to guys like you and, you know, other big guys, but it's just like, you have to find less deals. You know, if I want to go do a hundred house flips, it's like, all right, well, I got to find a hundred different deals, negotiate them all and try to make my 10%. With development, it's like, all right, well, you could go find one piece of land. You got your hundred lots, go build. Yeah. And you got your hundred deals in one transaction. And now, yeah, you're going to spend the next few years, you know, doing them, but still. It's, oh, yeah. a, it's a different ball game, and like it's actually more certain than a flip because you know your cost. Like it's just there. We're not getting into these flips that you know we we get into something and now we're like, oh boy, here's another extra twenty grand that we didn't see before and yeah. all that. Yeah, exactly. When you're doing a flip, you don't know exactly what's behind the walls, and you know it's it is tricky. I mean, even in the ground up game, you said it right. It's like it takes just as much energy to do a big deal as it does a small deal, right? Same process, same timeline. So you might as well do a big deal. Might as well do a hundred lots, right? Rather than, I've learned that lesson the hard way. I had two two houses 60 miles away, right? We're doing the same exact house on infill lots. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I will only build, now I build in threes, right? If I'm going to do something, I'm building threes or fives or tens. I'm not, it's just Like not all in the it. same, like the yeah, same subdivision, exactly like you said, right? Because if I'm 60 miles, if I'm 60 miles apart, right? Then you have to factor in my superintendents have to drive both ways. You just have to factor in all these things. And I learned that the hard way, you know, so- yeah. I mean, you're 29 and you've done, you said $30 million of, you know, development so far. So like, what, what is that consisted of? Yeah. We just finished up an 84 unit. My first big deal I ever put together was an 84 unit deal. Um, six buildings. Tell me, tell me about the 84 unit deal. Yeah. Yeah. So six, it's six buildings. We, the land was a, as you know, real estate's a relationship game. So one of my best friends, he's a local realtor. He was at church and a guy that owned a property, he bought a guy, bought 10 acres, super smart guy, kind of goes back to what you're saying. He bought 10 acres, subdivided it into four lots, Mm -hmm. built 110 assisted living units. That's his business. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he, he had two more lots that he was selling. He told my buddy Jake at a Bible study one night, Hey, I'm trying to sell this land. Do you have anybody that would be interested? He brought it to me. We looked at it quickly. We were able to very quickly understand and see there was a lot of value in it and put a deal together. Kind of crazy how it all happened. Yeah. Tell me like the numbers and like how it happened. Yeah. So it was, he wanted, he wanted about 1.2 for it. Uh Right. And the way that that multifamily game works, if you wanted to quickly understand what you actually can pay for a piece of land, you want to begin with the end in mind. So it's all based on, Hey, when I finish this apartment complex, what is it worth yep. on the back end? On a per unit basis is how I always think about it. So I know that in that area that a finished unit is going to be worth about 250000 per unit. And I can work backwards from there. We use what's called the 10% rule. So I'm going to want to pay no more than 10% per unit 
for the raw land or, okay. 20, or 25 grand, right? Yep. That's, that's how we look at the value. That's how appraisers typically look at the value. He wanted 1.2 million for the land or about 14,000 per unit. Got and it. I knew it was immediately, I knew it was going to get appraised for around 25,000 per unit. So we tied the deal up. I, at that time, I didn't have much cash. I tied the deal up with $12,300 down. So I put 1% down, tied it up. Then we started doing our, all of our due diligence, got got the team in place, got it all tied up. We had six months of due diligence. We started pushing it out to different investors. And you know the nice thing about deals like that is once you have them in control and tied up, banks want to loan on multifamily, investors want to put their money in if you're going to get into the land right. And we tied it up in June. And before we had to release our earnest money for due diligence, we had the appraisal in place. We had all our hard costs in place. It the project cost us $19 million to build all in, and we had an appraisal in place for $23 million. Okay. So we had $4 million of, of equity creation before we even had to close on the deal. Super easy to sell to investors. And in February of 2022, we closed on it and started building that same year. So how much did you have to raise to do the deal? We, we ended up putting $4.5 in. So you need $4.5 million of cash. Yeah. The bank provided the the rest of the 19. Correct. Okay. Everyone knows that my favorite way to build wealth is through real estate investing. That's the reason that I started Wealthy Investor, where we've trained thousands of students. But here's the thing. I've noticed that so many people fail to get started in real estate because they're worried about the money. They don't know where they're going to get the money to buy a house or flip or handle their renovations and things like that. And so they just never get started. I want to change that. And that's why I created a brand new free course that goes over five different ways that you could buy houses without using any of your own money today. And I'm going to give you it completely for free. All you have to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com slash podcast. I've made it specifically for you. The moment you go to that link, you'll be able to go get access to it and learn how you could start buying houses today without any of your own money. And if you're somebody who already has a real estate business and who wants to scale, we want to help you too. You can click the link below and book a free strategy call with our team if that's you. And then for people who don't know, like, let's just walk through this deal, like how it works actually. So you had to go to investors, get four, four and a half million bucks right there at close. Nope. We okay. had to raise, raise, we only had to raise for the purchase price of the land, 1.2 million. Okay. So you raised for 1.2 million yep. cash. Yep. Then what? How did the rest work? Yeah. So we knew, we knew that the total was going to be 4.5, but we didn't have to raise it all at once. Close, close for 1.2. Okay. Right. Get the land, own the land, go and get the entitlements and the permits to build. And then with construction, the nice thing is the bank's not going to make you put all the money in up front. It'll be a trickle to hit your equity threshold, right? So as construction starts, we get construction draws. Let's say the general contractor finished the foundation. He's going to bill us for that. Once we hit that $4.5 million equity threshold, then the loan starts kicking in. So mm -hmm. it was a it was a drawn out process, a drip process of of cash outlay, right? So basically you guys had to come up with the first four and a half million. Correct. Like so there was no loan. It's like, hey, we're paying out of pocket. Correct. Each step of the way, we've hit it. Now they'll start funding the rest. Yep. Based on that appraisal. So we did have clarity on how much we had to raise, right? We knew that based on that appraisal, this is what they'll loan us. They gave us their loan amount and then we were able to, to take it through.
Yeah, because at that point, you've got the land as collateral. You've already developed to a certain degree. Yep. And so, you know, they gave you, what was that, 75% yep. loan to value? Yeah, exactly. A little bit higher, but yeah. Okay. Yep. So this was in 2022. I mean, we're now at the end of 2023 and we're filming this. So you're already done with that project? Yeah, we just finished it. We just started leasing. That was fast. It. Yeah, it was like I told you, right? We were able to, that's what I like about the apartment development versus like if you're going to go develop a resort community, that's big picture, right? You got to have, you got to be patient. You got to be- It's a 20 year to, game. It's a 20 year game. So what I like about the apartment is we can get in and out in 24 months, right? In and out in 24 months. And now we're in that phase- the biggest thing with development is there's really three big things you have to master. You got to understand your construction cost, your budgets, right? If your performers aren't any good because you don't understand your construction cost. If I wasn't in the game myself, if I didn't know what it actually costs to build units, if I didn't know the day-to-day of what it costs, it'd be really hard to do it, right? So you got to know your numbers because you could literally kill a project. Let's say I told everyone that it's a great project, but we built it for 24 million and it's only worth 23. That, just ha- that ha- it happens, right? Yeah. So, but it, it looks great. But it looks really good. So you got to know your <laughs> got to know your numbers. Then the debt structure is one of the most important things as well, right? I think one of the one of the things that we looked at was, hey, where are interest rates at? We decided to work with a small regional bank and we locked in a typical process would be you'd get your construction loan, get it stabilized, and then you'd put permanent debt on. We didn't really want to be guessing in today's interest rates where it was going to be at. So we locked in our interest rate, our 11 and a half year play, 18 months interest only, and then permanent loan amortized over 30 years with a 10 year balloon. We locked that in up front. So we were able to lock in the debt. At How much? Go ahead. How much? How much did you lock it in at? Five point three five. So and we smart. under. Yeah. Well, we underwrote at six percent. So we were happy, right? This the classic saying of under promise over perform. Yeah. Right. And then the third thing on the underwriting, we were good on the debt structure. We we're good on the budget side. The third component is then what are the rents actually going to be? So what I like about that versus trying to analyze what you're going to be able to sell a house for, rents are way more sticky six months, 12 months, right? We can look at rents and they may flatten, but we're not going to see like in a neighborhood, if somebody decides to sell their house for $50,000 cheaper, that's going to kill our comps, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but with rents, it's a lot more sticky. So that prediction, that kind of future bet, it's much more reliable. And that's the stage we're in now is, Hey, what did we, what do we perform our rents for? And what are we getting rents for? And we're very blessed that you know, we, we underwrote it very conservatively in three scenarios, worst case, realistic, best case, and we're hitting our best case rents. So mm, that's amazing. So how much are they? The rent is on average is about 1800, 1800. Yeah, these are one or two bedrooms. Higher. It's a mix, three bedrooms, two bedrooms, one bedroom. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So 84 units, average rent is 1800 bucks. Yeah. So what's the NOI looking like it's going to be? Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, from a, a typical side, right? We're run. We'll run at probably twenty-eight to thirty percent expense ratio there in Oregon. Real numbers, right? Yep. And the NOI will land. We're landing at in that one fifteen to one twenty a month okay. range. And then um, before debt, yeah, right? before debt. And what's the cap rates out there right now? Yeah, for a, that's like a Marquise property. It's like beautiful, really, yeah. really good property. They've gone up with interest rates, right? So I would say that. 
that's about a between a five and a half to six cap right now in today's market. But we wouldn't we wouldn't really be interested in trading it unless it's at five and a half to five. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So just for those listening, right? Yeah. The reason, basically, I just said a bunch of the terms that people don't get. Yeah. So, like the way that you determine the value of a commercial property is that you know you're going to take the NOI divided by the cap rate, and so like in this case. You know, when they were like, hey, it's worth 23 million, yeah. they were essentially projecting, hey, you know, this property should produce this much net operating income. And based on what properties are trading for, you know, it's basically cap rate. Um, that's what this property is valued at. Exactly. And so because we had higher rents, you know, it's the value of that property. We'll see how it shakes out. But yeah. it's, it's, it's north of 23 million for sure. Yeah, because just based on you saying the math you said, I mean, like at 180 or sorry, you said 150 a month, yeah. you know, best case. Yeah, our NOI, 120, that, I would say around. Okay, one. so 120 times 12 months. I mean, you're at 1.4-ish million. So let's just say 1.5 million for easy numbers. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you divide that by, let's just say 6%. So that's 25 million, even exactly. at a six cap. Yep, exactly. At a six cap. Yeah. Right. And that's where, so that's where, you know, we look at that and, and, and then we also look at, you know, if you look, if you look at where I think it's headed, we can hold on to it. We're happy with the cash flow. Is the cash flow phenomenal? No. I mean, it's nothing that's like crazy good cash flow, right? If you study like assisted living, memory care, assisted living, net free cash flow. It's crazy. Crazy. Apartments. It, you know, 400, 500 bucks net free cash flow, 300 bucks net free cash flow. But as you wait with time, as you know, what that looks like in year three and five or seven is a whole different thing. Plus all the, I mean, from a cost segregation side, $4.3 million is what we're able to depreciate based on the cost seg. We haven't got, we haven't got our, our uh, 45L yet, which is all the energy efficiency stuff, but 4.3 million of depreciation Mm -hmm. to the partnership. Yeah. And so for anyone listening, you know, basically 4.3 million of depreciation means that, you know, all the investors, I mean, depending on what they put in and everything are going to be able to split that right off against, you know, if they're real estate professionals against their active income, which is crazy. You yeah. know, if, if everyone made 4 million that year, they could wipe out their entire tax bill. Yeah. 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 Now we, you know, they're trying to phase that out on us 80% this year, 60% starting next year. So, yeah. But. So with that, let's just talk about like, okay, so the apartment's done, you guys are getting leased up yep. and everything's going great. Um, so, you know, in development, like the, the investors haven't been getting paid anything to this point, right? Cause there's been no money coming in, <laughs> you know, you're just putting money going out. And that's one thing people don't realize about like the development game or even just the fun game in general. It's like, Dude, you ain't making money for a long time. And I tell people that because, you know, we have Pineda Capital and we're in over 600 units now. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, guys, like I have literally like not made anything just so you guys know. Yeah. There's a reason I got to hustle and make some content and, you know, flip some houses and throw some events because those are like active income things yeah. right now. Yeah. But my rentals, you know, are fund. You make your money when you exit. That's when you make the money. Yeah. That's when you make all the money. And there's a couple ways you can do it, right? You can, if you like the asset, why I like new construction is if you think about the lifetime of our asset, right? Rather than buying a, an old one, fixing it up, et cetera. Oh, bro, give me a new one all day. Exactly. The lifetime's longer. So there's two ways we can get a ca our capital out, right? We can, 
for example, our rents are higher than we expected. Now the value of the property is 25 million. We could put additional debt on there if it services us and get some cash out. We could go and probably get one or $2 million tax-free out of that property. That would be right away in year one. In year seven, we could look at, hey, do we want to sell it? Or let's say it's worth 30 million at that time because rent, rent's going to grow two, 3% a year, right? We're going to see we're going to see some good growth there in general. The cap rates so we get can back do, to normal. Exactly. Yeah. We can sell in 1031 or we can just refinance and have it be a, you know, a tax-free event. So it's, it's just one of those games. I think the key thing is to, to look at it, have a business plan, have a couple ways you can pivot and, and know, just like you said, that that capital will sit in there. But when you have that event in year three, five, seven, it's going to be great. Yeah. So for people wondering, right? I mean, you're either on the side of being the developer, which yeah. is what you are, and you're going to create the deal and do all the work and everything else. Or you're an investor, right? You had to go raise over 4 million bucks to do this deal. And, you know, the investor, it's passive for them, yep. right? And now they're finally going to start getting cash flow since this thing's going to start, you know, getting rented out and producing cash. Yep. Um, how do you as a developer make money? Because I'm saying, eh, well, you don't make money. So how are you eating? You know, like, mm. so what do you do? Yeah, two. there's two things. I've got similar to you. I've got my general contracting business. I've got my single family specs that I'm building and selling. I'll build for other people as well, right? So that's kind of my operating. But there's also, if you go and control that deal, like I told you, I tied that deal up, just me. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't bring my debt. Nobody was in. It was just me originally, right? Yep. And then I go out and we pitch it to different investors. And there's there's acquisition fees that get layered into projects yep. like that. There's developer fees that get laid into projects like that. And so there's definitely capital that gets paid out. I use it to put straight into the deal, right? Yeah. But so you're buying more equity into it. You've got it exactly. Because to me, it's the more the more property I can accumulate, you know, the happier I am. It's an asset accumulation game. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people too. Like even with our fund, it's like all the fees just go into paying overhead yeah. at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I mean, the fee, exactly. Like if you look at it, it's not like I got good yeah. money on the fees went straight into the deal. Fees went into paying overhead. Yeah. The fees aren't really a money maker They're They might get you because you did the hustling, they, you did the deal. They might get you into the deal. So if you're out there and you're like, you really want to make something happen and you don't have capital, the fees can get your entry into yeah. the deal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's what it was for me, right? I didn't have capital to put in. Mm-hmm. I own 5% of that deal through a tick agreement. Yep. And a majority of that was based on the development fee. Yep. So you do that and, you know, obviously you guys are going to be able to do whatever you want here in the coming years. You can refi, you can exit everything else. Um, tell me about, just like the other deals you're doing, like you said, so you guys are doing spec builds, you guys are doing, um, you know, you said you got some smaller deals going on too. Yeah. yeah. So we got a 24 unit that's in construction right now. We're the general contractors on that as well. So, you know, that's been going good. That'll get done. I'll call it May of 2024. And it's a, again, it's a smaller deal. It's, it goes back to what we were talking about though, right? It's like, it takes just as much energy to do that 24 unit as it does the 84 unit. Mm-hmm. We only have so much time. So we're we're looking at probably liquidating that and then just focusing on the larger deals. Uh, we've got that going. And then I've, I usually have somewhere between 10 to 15 homes under construction as well. Now, are those 10 to 15, are those usually just like home? Like, tell me about like the clients. Are they just luxury homes for other people? Are they deals you see and you're like, I'm just basically going to flip? Yeah. You know, what are they? Yeah, but I got a, two buckets. I build, we'll build for others. 
right? From just a customer built for others, operational business and where I'm going to go, where I want to go ultimately is just building for myself. So I'd say mixed bag, you know, I'm building fourplex for myself. And then right next door, I'm building one for my buddy. I'm building, we got three specs going. We just sold two specs. So it's a mixed bag between building for others, right? And building for ourselves. But ultimately I started that construction company purely to build assets for the family. That's where it's going to go. So as long as I can put enough development deals in front of us, we'll be good. We're developing, uh, we own a beautiful piece of property right by uh, our local hospital there. And we are building our first assisted living facility there as mm. well. So that'll happen this year, 2024. How many like units and everything is that going to be? Yeah, it's, it's going to be memory care specific. Oregon's really interesting in in where if you look at like the Medicaid programs in general, it's a memory care. It'll be 50 units, a hundred beds. So 50 units, a hundred beds. Got it. So like, uh, an assisted living facility, like, is it, I mean, it's just pretty much like a multifamily, like, well, I mean, you're layering on a massive amount of operation. It's a, you're essentially getting into healthcare, right? So you're layering on a bunch of additional a bunch of additional operational challenges. But I'm just you, saying from the developer. Oh, no, it's way it's way easier, right? Because if you think about building a assisted living facility, we're just building root we're building common kitchens, not a kitchen in every single unit, and we're building rooms. So the costs per unit are gonna come down way more. It's kinda like a hotel. It's kinda like a hotel, you've got it. Yeah, because you're not doing apartments that need all their own stuff. Exactly. So it's your cost per unit come way down. What's your cost side. per unit on those? Yeah, we're going to land about 100,000 per unit versus on apartments. 250. Yeah, exactly. On apartments, we land at about, you know, yeah, 200. So yeah. So, okay. 225, depending on which one you're built, where we're at. So you're at 100,000 a unit. So you're going to be at like 5 million on that property. You've got it. And so what is your projections on that? Cause you know, you're talking earlier that assisted living is great cash flow. So how are you seeing that play out? Yeah. So, I mean, we wouldn't even venture in it if I didn't have my aunts and uncles have been super successful on the East coast, Midwest in the assisted living game. They know it, they know it through and through massively successful in it. And so we're venturing into Oregon to just bring that operation into the Pacific Northwest. When you look at after you pay everything, debt, et cetera, like we talked about on an apartment unit, let's say your net free cash flow is 300, 400, 500 bucks with assisted living. You're talking somewhere between 2,500 to three grand per unit. Mm. Well, excuse me, per bed. Per bed. <laughs> yeah. Cause most of these guys are paying what? Five to eight grand. Depends like Medicaid specific programs. You can really figure out what you want to do. There's split ones, private, you know, private. If you look at the average over in Oregon, I would say it's right around seven grand. A lot of that comes from Medicaid, right? So Medicaid pays seven grand a month for memory care and you can do split facilities. So the way we'll develop this is you'll have, the goal is majority memory care, but we'll also have assisted living ability. And in Oregon that goes, your assisted living Medicaid programs are in levels. So from 3,500 to 5,500. Depending on the care you need, et cetera. What is memory care? Is it for like people with dementia or Alzheimer's? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's Alzheimer's and um, dementia. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So it's its own niche of um, assisted living. It's exactly right. It's its own niche of assisted living. And, you know, it's, it's definitely, if you look at like where Alzheimer's are heading, if you look at where baby, baby, baby boomers are heading, right. If you look at just pure numbers, we're going to, I believe we're going to see a, still a huge wave of, need for assisted living facilities. Yeah. So. so you guys are building that your 
your family is going to basically handle the operations because they already have that built out. You're, you're mainly focused on the real estate. Yep. And then obviously you're going to be able to learn when it's built. Yep. How'd you guys build the 84 units so quick? I mean, to go be done in basically 18 months, it's crazy. Yeah. We hired a amazing, an amazing general contractor who I, I learned a lot from watching them just for what we could bring into our company. Right. And we had a couple benefits happening for us. It, during COVID, you know, the last two, three, four years, it was really hard to get subcontractors. Yeah. Well, as the, as we started our project, that's- Everything that, got slow. Exactly. So we had the luck of like, when we bid out our lumber package originally, it was coming in at, you know, whatever it came in at. When we purchased it, we saved 310000 So we, it was pure luck. I mean, pure luck. And then we also had subcontractors who all of a sudden now they needed an anchor project because interest rates came up, right? We were already locked in. A lot of the home builders put their projects on halt. And so now all these subcontractors who were busy, 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 they needed a big anchor project. So we just got lucky. I mean, pure luck. And then hiring the right group, right? I would hire those guys through and through all day long again. I mean, they were just so good. Somebody might be thinking, well, Dirk, didn't you just say that you have a construction company? Why didn't you just do it and make the money with your company? Yeah, it wasn't good enough yet. Needed to see it. Um, it would have taken us. They built it. So we got it approved. They built it in 12 months. It would have taken us 18 all day. So, yeah, you know, you got to, sometimes you got to be able to see what other people can do. You're just not ready yet. Right. And I'm, I know when I'm ready and when I'm not, and I'm not ready yet. So, and I honestly, I don't even, if you look at it, what I want to scale is development. I don't want to scale the construction company. company. Yeah. No, not even close. So anyways. I think too, number one, I want to point out to the viewers that takes an immense amount of self-awareness and humbleness to say that because number one, GCs are some of the hardest said people I've ever met. And so like you look at this opportunity to build 84 and like, whether it's pride or ego, whatever, it's like a lot of GCs like, no dude, I'm going to build this thing. This is my deal. Mm. You know, I want to put my footprint on this and I'm going to do it cheaper and better. Like that's a GC's typical mindset. Right. And for you to be like, nah, dude, like I, I definitely wasn't ready and it's all good. This guy is way better than me and he got it done quicker and I learned a ton from it. That's the mark of somebody who is successful already, but going to continue to be successful. Because one thing I've seen from people, um, you know, especially in like the coaching program, which you're in too, which I'll talk to you about in a sec because of like, you know, once again, why even join a, you know, a house flipping and real estate coaching program when you're kind of like doing something completely different. So I'm curious to hear that. But like when I see people join a program who already are successful, but they're like, look, dude, I still got something I need to learn. It tells me a lot about them versus, you know, I see a lot of people who have had a level of success and they think they know it all. And then they just kind of like stagnate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't (laughs) agree more to answer your question on the why I joined your program. I mean, it's you, right? It's fully 100% you. Daniel Kong, shout out to Daniel Kong. Yep. I had a tax thing at the end of the year and I was like, I got to spend some money on education. <laughs> and he said, I trust him. At that time, I didn't really have social media. I trusted him. And he's like, Ryan Pineda all day. And I'm, I even, I think we even tried to go through the sales funnel with, or you guys yeah. try to take me through. I was like, no, no, don't worry. Like, I'm in. Just, just take, yeah, just take it. If we're good, and then, <laughs> then I came to your, I came to your, uh, your event, and yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is I, I am like I live the growth mindset, right? And you said something that that uh, really like 
hit me right in the face because it's true. Like if you're an entrepreneur and you're not doing content or you're not doing social media, like what are you doing? You're an idiot. Like literally, yeah. what are you doing? So I came to your boot camp. Yeah. And I mean, I took so I knew I knew nothing, right? Yeah. Five, six, seven years, no social media. I used to be like, oh, it's a distraction. Yeah. It's not a distraction. It's a connection. It's a network. It was so ignorant, so silly. So I come here, uh, bring my family, and you should have seen. I learned so much in one day, but two days. I learned so much in two days, took so many notes. And then the key for me then was, hey, I got to go put this into practice. So I started putting it into practice and you know, it's paid off. I, I actually, from the program side, things got so busy, I kind of fell off on the program side, but I got so much value. <laughs> out of just one, I'm, I'm good. I would recommend it to everybody. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a kudos to you guys because you hit so many different things. You've got so many different programs. And you know, the I believe that if you want to learn something, go and pay somebody. You say the same thing, but go and pay yeah. somebody. So you don't have to sell me. I paid 25 grand all day. I would, I would do it again in yeah. a heartbeat. I'd pay 50 grand. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, I would pay 50 grand for what I learned. I Just, appreciate that, yeah. dude. If you're watching this show, my guess is you're probably an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business. And for me, the best thing I ever did to grow my business was build my personal brand on social media. It's allowed me to get more revenue. It's allowed me to raise more capital and it's allowed me to hire better talent. And if you are not currently creating content for your brand, you're missing out and your competition is. So if you want to learn to grow, my advice is to create a podcast. Now there's a lot that goes into building a podcast and why I believe it's the best way. So I've actually created a free training that I want you to go check out. If you go to panadamedia.com slash podcast, you can go access the free training right now and see how a podcast is going to be the best decision to grow your personal brand today. So go check it out by clicking the link below and I'll see you in the training. Yeah, I think it, it's funny because some of the, like we we do get guys who, you know, because like, you know, like you said, we have a lot of programs, right? So whatever somebody's trying to specialize in, we try to help them. Mm -hmm. um, but we obviously aren't developers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because like one of my other good friends who started in the program, Amr Samaha, he's been on the show and um, he's a developer too. Nice. And, um, you know, I remember before we became great friends, I was like, so why did you join? Like, just I'm I'm genuinely curious. And, um, you know, it was a similar thing. He's like you, you know, like I just want to know what, you know, even, you know, I can apply it to everything I do, whether it's hiring, whether it's getting deals and thinking about things in different ways. And um, his main thing was for him, he didn't have another way of making money beyond development. And so he initially thought maybe I'll start a, you know, wholesaling or a house flipping business. And then I remember we did a little mastermind a couple of years ago and I was like, why are you going to go and try and learn this? Yeah. Like you're, you're so good already at this. There's ways to make money today, you know, with your construction and architectural and everything background. And I was like, you're already looking at all this land deals. Why, why you got to take them all down yourself? Yeah. You know, why not just start entitling land and getting it done and flip them, you know, like easy money in that. And I've met a lot of people who do that. Yeah, it's good advice. I, I had a similar thing. I'm like, hey, do I want to create other streams? I'm like, no, just keep the main thing, the main thing. Know what I want to scale, right? And and that's the development side. I will say one thing. There's there's a lot of hunger for like people who, let's say they're in real estate. 
They've maybe done the wholesale, they've done the flip and they're looking for something. They're looking for something else. There is a lot of hunger in there. I was sort of testing it out, seeing like, hey, are do people are people interested in construction? Like I, what I call the business side of building, right? You think I move it? I've never swung a hammer in my life. <laughs> they, I, you know, like all the guys, they call me the pencil pusher. I love yeah. it. I love it. I'll be the business builder all day, baby. I know yep. the numbers. I know how to entitle. I know how to unlock land. That's all I'm focused on. It's a blueprint, right? Well, I'll hire the experts who know how to do the excavation, the concrete, the framing. I just need to know a little bit, mainly the numbers. I mean, yeah. that's if you want to be a business person, mainly the numbers. Right? So I know the numbers. Nobody can mess with me. I yep. know the numbers better than I would say. Like I can, I will, if you try to, if you try to get me, <laughs> I know, I know the numbers. I know where you're trying to like, yeah, the game. Pull know, one. Exactly. I know the whole game. I've been through it. And so that's the only thing you had to master. And then b- the business side of building, right? The contract, uh, how to do the contracts, how to put the deals together, the permitting, the insurance, right? the insurance. all the stuff that's important. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, no matter what, if you look at anything, that's where the money is. Any t- the, the person who owns the business, who is the business side of building, right? That's where the money is. It's not, there's not huge money in being a subcontractor. You can do well over time, but if you really look at and study where throughout history, where the money's made, it's not in doing the, the actual work, it's putting the work together. So that's what we do, the business side of building. And it's, it is a template. It is a blueprint. It is a step-by-step process, right? So I wanted to see it. Like, are people hungry for learning that? And there are quite a bit of people who are hungry for it. Um, you know, so it's one of the things I was thinking about and playing around was like, hey, can we build a personal grant brand? And then can we potentially, are there courses that, will people actually buy courses? Would they be interested? We tried to throw our first event, which was so hard kudos to you guys that you guys can do four a thousand people yeah you know how much if anybody's ever tried to put on an event (laughs) it is insane we did 35 people we i mean granted i came up with the idea and two months later we threw the event yeah it is so much work but it was just a test out right do people want to learn about the ground up game is what i call it right buying land building from the ground up and there are there's people out there that are hungry that want to know how to to do it and it is truly a blueprint so. Yeah. No, I love it. Do you, so what, what was your conclusion after throwing the event? I mean, obviously people want to learn it. Yeah. I would, I mean, it was super fun. I loved it. It was so much work and <laughs> I was like, what am I actually doing this? You could have made it probably a lot more money just focused on the you business. Got, you yeah. got it, brother. So I was like, it was so much work. I had nothing to sell. Right. And so uh, to me, I said, was it rewarding? Yeah. One of the passions I do have, I really do have a passion to to help people and to educate. I had a terrible time in school, like regular school just didn't work for me. I had dyslexia, just the system itself wasn't good. And so I, because of the dyslexia and the regular school path, I always told myself for a long time, I was like, Hey, I'm, I had the story of like, Oh, I'm dumb. Forget school. Yeah. So, you know, that one of my passions is to provide people with true education stuff that they can like feel, touch, see, and go and build whatever they want to build, right? You could, if you want to build just one or two homes a year, you could make one to $200,000 a year, yeah. have a completely different lifestyle, right? Do whatever you want. Like what the energy that would take after learning the process and taking some risk is a completely different thing. So I do have a passion for helping people or educating people on what I've learned. And it actually helps me refine. What, what do I actually know? Like how smart, I, like how, how have I mastered this or not? And when you go and try to teach someone, you're like, oh, I don't know if I fully mastered this yet. There's a lot more to learn, baby. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Wait, that's a good question. I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, 
So, but, but I mean, like somebody who's listening to this, they're like, yeah. dude, Dirk, like I, I really want to learn or, you know, I want to work with you guys. Like, where could they do it? Like just hit you up on where? Yeah. They can hit me up on, on Instagram. Just, okay. you know, the, the Dirk Vanderbilt, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, those are really the two big ones. We've got a YouTube channel. We took a little bit of a, like a, a break. I was real all in. I took a little break over the last month, but then you'll see me really come start in ramping. And, yeah, start ramping up. I'll pick your brain a little bit on some yeah. ideas and whatnot. But that would be where you can see us pushing stuff out, and then maybe one day, you know, wealthy way will launch a development. Dude, we we might have to just do it. You know, yeah. we uh, well, well, number one, right? I think anybody listening to this, they could learn a ton from you. So either way you know, hit you up. And I think investors and everyone too. I mean, everyone's looking for a place to put their capital right now. And, you know, with the market um, predicted to be very good going in 2024 with low rates and everything, I think, um, you know, you're going to see a lot more capital start flowing into deals. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're England, you know, for example, a lot of people put a halt on their projects from a single family side. And I was like, no, like rev up baby. Cause what I think is going to happen, and if you, the only place to look at really is what is the Fed releasing and they're, they're releasing. They've done, if you look at the last two years and you read their reports and you look at the Fed dot plot, they've done what they said they were going to do. So when I look at where interest rates going to go and what did Jerome Powell just announced, we're going to have three cuts. Well, guess what? I've got product that in spring and summer of 2024 comes online just when those rates are being cut. In this plan, could we have been wrong? Sure. And what would have happened if we're wrong and they raised it? Well, we would have just been pinched in our margins a bit. Okay, I just sold two houses, and rather than making you know eighty or a hundred grand, we made forty grand. Okay, that's that life. It's yeah. life. We move forward, move on. But you know, it's it's fun to make that little bed and and kind of go zig when others zag, right? I mean, that's I think that that's really important if you want to be successful in anything. You got to turn your back to the crowd. Yeah. I've always done that. I've always um, just kind of went to my own uh, drum and, you know, like you, it's just about taking risk and following your gut. And at the end of the day, right, knowing the numbers and the risk associated with it. And so for you, um, it's like you you started to do these infill lots and everything when others were like, oh, man, dude, I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, you took a bet that, hey, 2024 is going to be better when all my product comes out you know, out, but even if it's not, we'll still be okay. Cause we're still underwriting the deals properly. Yeah. Yeah. We're being conservative. You know, one thing I appreciate and when I watch you guys and what you built, one, I look up to what you built, but I also, I can see that it's like tip of the iceberg. Right. So that's what attracts me in general about being part of your program. All the things I'm like, this it's just tip of the iceberg for these guys. Like they're literally just revving up, look what they've done, but they're just revving up. It, that's what I see. So yeah, just my hat's tipped to you on that. No, sure. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I look at, um, what we've built to your point, mm you know, just like thinking of the events since we were talking about how hard it is to run events, you know, we <laughs> just started running events like two years ago, yeah. like at hotels, yeah. you know, I think our first event at a hotel was in 2022. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and from like 200 people to 300 people to few hundred, you know, and it's like, now it is what it is. And I think this next event will be our biggest. Um, we should probably have like 1300 people, I would guess. Mm -hmm. And then I actually think we could do 2000 on the next one, but I don't know that I'm going to have a venue big enough. Mm -hmm. I actually think I might get constrained by yeah. the venue. Yeah. And 
It ain't easy to do. That's for sure. Like to, to run the operation, to sell that many tickets, to create a great experience, to market and sell, to get the speakers, to fly everyone in, to know how you want to like run a show, just the entire thing to make it a great experience. And there's a lot that goes into it. But like, then I think about it and I'm like, huh, we kind of did what nobody's really done in less than two years. And we still are just like figuring it out. Like you said, yeah, just wait. I mean, you guys, hands down, you'll be selling out arenas. We don't know how quick, but it all com- it'll compound in itself. Right. You look at uh, you always talk about the first one you went to was Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you'll you will grow into into doing this similar thing mm-hmm. in your in your own style, your own way. But that yeah. amount that amount of people, yeah, it's it's inevitable. Look how look how quickly it's already grown. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's what's your plan for you? Yeah, I think 2024. It's you know we're focused on operational efficiencies from a general contracting business. I've had to invest in actually bringing people on. You know, I'm sure you remember what that's like, right? So now you're bringing on. Remember, I still do it every day. Yeah. Well, you're, bringing, <laughs> you're yeah, but there's a stage of when you're first doing it, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause that was the first, that's a big, big adjustment, right? When you go from no employees to five to seven, right? Yeah, and, like, dang, this is yeah. different. I mean, and now you're, you're just going boom, ba boom, ba boom. Yeah. But to replace originally to try to replace myself. I mean, that was a big investment, right? I mean, I got two executives that I'm a superintendent and a project manager that I'm now paying high salaries. And that was a big adjustment, big investment. So we'll focus on operational efficiencies. Don't re- I don't really feel like, because I'm, I'm not trying to scale the general contracting business. So I don't need to layer on more stuff there. I just need to perfect the standard operating procedures and get it to run itself, right? 2024 operational efficiencies, standard operating procedures, hand this thing off and have it run itself in the next six to 12 months so that 10 to 20% of my time's there. And then the remainder of the time is in putting development deals in front of us. So we'll put development deals in front of us that we self-perform on. Well, I really want to break into that assisted living because I think that there's a ton of opportunity if you look at what's going to, the wave that's coming. I like the cash flow behind it. There's still development opportunity for it. So there's this perfect storm, in my opinion, coming of we're going to need more assisted living. It's great cash flow. So you'll see me really drive into that in 2024. And then uh, we've got a huge piece of property that we're annex- annexing in right now, which is going to take a ton of focus, 65 acres coming into Bend. And that'll, you know, once we were, once we're successful in that, that'll. What do you mean you're annexing in 65 acres? Yeah. So every town, city, area has an existing city limit and then an urban growth boundary. They're all required to have a 20 year comprehensive plan of like, Hey, based on our growth, our population growth and the needs of our city, we, and maybe it's not like that in other States, but in Oregon, they're all required to have a, a comp plan, a comprehensive plan. And, you know, based on that comprehensive plan that's required by the state, each city will take their urban growth growth boundary and they'll actually move it out during the you know, during phases to meet the demands of that comp plan because more land has to be annexed into the actual city. So what if you ever study like really smart developers, the number one builder in the Pacific Northwest builds 2000 homes a year. Mm. I study I know all, all the land his father was buying land outside of the urban growth boundary, 40 acres, 50 acres, you know, for what seemed like farmland, seemed like land that would never be brought in. He is today building on that land. And guess what he's doing? Because he's a smart man. If you watch any 40, 50, 60 acre parcels that are being purchased right now outside of their urban growth boundary, 
it's this guy. He's still just doing it. He's doing it because he's making the, he knows that in 10, 15 years, when that gets annexed in, the value of that property will be substantial. So point being, we have a 65 acre piece that we're annexing in and it's, it'll be 650 apartment units over the next 15 years. It's 150 residential lots. And then there's a light industrial that'll, that'll be, um, moved as well. So it's on that one, we're really doing the land play. So I've got, we're negotiating with the regional builder and DR Horton right now to buy the lots. We've, we've actually got a great offer from DR Horton. It's just hard to work with, with, uh, those big national guys. Um, and you'll see us, you'll see me really focus on that because I think that that could be a huge catalyst for our development arm in Oregon over the, in 2025. Um, so so with that, like, how do you know what is like, well, I guess it's annexed in. So it's like in another city right now. Like where is it's it? It's in the, it's in the County. So it's, okay. yeah. So it's like the urban growth boundary. Let's say you draw, you know, the city of Bend, Oregon, where, where it's at, they have a boundary. And then when they do that comp planning, they say, Hey, we're going to expand this way. And it goes from Deschutes County, which is our local county, then into the city. Got it. So it goes out of county into city. So, because nothing, no one lives there or anything right now. It's just like- there's a No, there's a house on it, but oh. it's on 65 acres. So it's those rural areas that, you know, if you have, like, if you have cash and you wanted to do a land play like those guys are doing, buying those rural areas, if you can sit on it for 10 to 15 years. So like you're buying it for how much? 14 and a half million. And then what's it worth once it's the next in? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's put it this way for the residential lots, which is 25 acres. We have an offer for just under 24 million. Mm. Now you have to put infrastructure in and there you go. That's the game. Just like we talked about, right? They're not making more land and there's a lot of value creation. Just like you told your friend, why don't you just entitle land and flip it? There's a lot of value creation in entitlements. Yeah. So do you see that as something you're going to do? with all this other stuff, because I mean, like to me, that seems the easiest way to like make some quick cash. Yeah. So you're the, you, you hit it spot on, right? It's like, where's all the time and where can it all go? So get the construction. Get, yep. Get it running itself and then focus on more of that. I mean, that deal, that's where, if you look at like, if I were to ask myself, where do I make the most per hour? It's doing those deals. Yeah. hundred percent through and through. Well, the cool thing about like those deals too, and I don't know how this deal came about or anything, but like, Okay. You get this deal, you lock it up. So anyone can, you could own the deal a hundred percent for now. Yeah. Right. But the moment, you know, you, you got to go raise 20 million bucks. Well then, you know, you're going to bring investors in and yeah. however that gets split, it gets split. But for the paper, you know, you just got the paper and then, you know, if you get a long due diligence and you go and through this process of entitling and finding the DR Hortons and the bidders and the buyers and, you know, all of a sudden you got offers for 25 million. It's like, well, dude, at that point you can just sell the paper and you don't really need to, uh, have anyone else involved. And that's just pure cash to you. Yeah. It's definitely, that project's definitely kind of like pinch, even the 84 unit, I'm like pinching myself. I'm like, is this real on that project? Guess how much we put down? How much? 20, we put $25,000 down <laughs> on a 14 and a half million dollar purchase price. That's it. And then the rest of it, the negotiations on that, right? Like the, it's all about how do you, how do we frame and how do we talk to people, right? One, they have to believe in you. So 
very blessed, extremely blessed because people see the resort, they see Tethero, they see what's been done. Yeah. I have that name. You have credibility. Yeah. hundred percent. If I was just a Joe, yeah, it doesn't work that way. So I, I do not, like, I know that very clearly and I'm so grateful and so blessed for that. But then how do you use that to your advantage and how do you properly structure a win-win deal? I mean, we didn't want to have a bunch of money sitting there in earnest. So it's, it's just conversations with sellers, right? Hey, we're going to go spend all this money to improve your property. Worst case, we pull out, you, we, here's a clause. You have the rights to all the work. You're going to be able to, we're going to add a ton of value to your property if we decide not to close, which by the way, after due diligence, we've never not closed on a deal then you get the rights. But we don't want to have this, all this money just sitting in escrow, not working for anyone, right? And most sellers, if they they think about that, they would agree with that. So that's how we were able to have those conversations, have those sit downs, create a win-win situation, and then, you know, get that deal teed up. So yeah, kind of yeah. crazy, but. And so what do you think ends up happening on that deal? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. If you look at like, how long and how long have you been working on it? Yeah, we've been working on it for six months, six, yeah, six to eight months. Um, the city has to bring sewer in. So nothing, nothing, nothing really happens until from a construction side until spring or summer of 2025. We've got the way the contract's set up, we've got a, at annexation, we have got a capital commitment. So we're working through making sure we, we can really have it all be finessed. And part of that, part of that is deciding we've got this offer from DR Horton, but it, when you look at their contracts or you study those big, like, I mean, they're a public company, right? So if you look at those contracts and you study what's happened in the past with guys like that, part of their job is get as much get as much work ahead of us for our reporting as possible, right? So they might give you a great offer, but how real is it? You have to, we have to really feel that out. We've been doing a lot of communicating and conversations about that. Or do we go with the small regional builder, smaller regional builder who we trust that we can work with? So we're trying to work that out. And by March of 2024, we're trying to have an actual contract in place, have it set up to know who's going to buy the residential, and then we'll let the rest of it unfold. Mm. Yeah. So would your goal be to obviously you'll you'd make a profit yeah. on the residential mm -hmm. and then you'd keep the rest and develop it? You got it. Yeah. I mean, not actually <laughs> we've also had a couple of people say, hey, we want the we want some multifamily sites. So we would sell like anything, right? We'll sell anything. But the goal <laughs> just the, whatever, whatever like <laughs> is the best thing. Yeah. Like, okay, you want those for all right, cool. All right, you're gonna give me this. Okay, cool. You know what? I'll sell it all. Yeah. Or yeah, Okay, now I only have um, 10% of it left and that's where I'll do my own development. Exactly. So if we can go low risk and just flip the paper, we'll do that all day. Yeah. But most likely what'll end up happening is we'll sell the residential, we'll we'll start developing a little bit of the commercial and then we'll sell it all off as that area of town just continues to boom. So So is your focus just on bend since that's what you know best or you looking for opportunities everywhere? What's the deal? Yeah, so I've had a lot of success in like those secondary markets too. So band, like if it's like a 30 to 50 mile radius and my dream and what I'm working on right now is breaking out into other states. So I've got a project we're doing due diligence on right now in Idaho. Uh, we'll, it's a 64 unit project. We'll test it out with eight 
units to prove it. These are first sale townhomes. We'll test it out to prove it. And then we'll, we're working on a contract right now for first right of refusal on the remainder of them, but I got to prove it out. Right. I got to make sure that it's kind of those baby steps. I want to be in multiple markets. So I got to make sure I can get it. We're not going to general contract it, but I'm, I'm working on getting that teed up. You'll probably see us in spring of 2024, break into Idaho. And then we're doing due diligence on a piece in Bozeman right now as well. So you're going into Montana, Idaho, you're in Oregon. It's interesting because I've thought about what markets interest me for a potential golf course development. And um, there's a lot of markets I've been thinking about because they're very um, just scenic. You know, the scenery is amazing. But one thing I don't like is obviously it's not year round golf. So I don't like that. So my question is like, what are some of the challenges you face in those markets, at least building, you know, is it tough to build since, you know, you get snow and all this stuff or what? We'll build right through it. There's ways to build right through the snow, ground thaw machines, et cetera. It slows timelines down, but it's not too big of a deal on the, on your golf course side. I do agree, right? It's not year round golf. So what you really have to focus in on is that membership. Those memberships are year round. So that keeps you going and and rocking. But I think for you to one, because you're passionate about it too, because of your brand, I like, I love that idea for you. I think that you'll, you'll really be able to create something that, that people are going to want to buy into. So Mm. that's, you know, and, and I think that, um, it's definitely, it's definitely not an easy game, the development. There's a ton of risk and a ton of capital that it takes, but it's super rewarding. And like you said, on the back end, you can create a massive amount of wealth. So, yeah, I look at, um, you know, cause I just been to a lot of golf courses and I'm like, man, we're in the U S it's like a good year round location, but also has scenery and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you look at California and everything and, you know, California is, is beautiful, but you know, it's California. So getting anything approved there is like going to be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I look at like, I love Latin America and Mexico and everything. And it's just year round, just awesome. But you know, it's not America. So I've been really kind of like conflicted on where in America to go because I love the scenery of the Northwest. And then, you know, you start to look at the coast of Oregon and California and those are great. But, you know, they all have their pros and cons of like mainly weather or politics in California and Oregon and Oregon. Yep. Um, And then I'm like, everyone's like, go to Texas. And I'm like, where's the scenery in Texas and stuff like those places, you know? Um, What's your favorite course you've ever been to? uh, This course in the Dominican called Playa Grande. Mm. It's like. 13 holes, like literally off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. It's like Pebble beach, yeah. but, but better. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's kind of like my mind is like, I'm thinking I'm a weather guy. I like just year round tropical stuff. I yeah. don't like the cold. Yeah. So I don't yeah, know. You don't want, you don't want, then you don't want to, I mean, then, you know, you're definitely in Idaho, Oregon and Washington. You're going to have the cold, right? California. You won't, but you got the red tape. The only thing about that red tape in that challenge is like, it's hard to get it approved, but because it's hard to get it approved, if, if you get there and you, once you get it approved, that actually is kind of like, I, I kind of in one way like that because it will take a lot of work, be really hard to do, but a lot of people are going to veer away from it. So there might be a little bit of a, of a opportunity. You work through that headache and all of a sudden other people who don't want it, you've put yourself at an advantage. So, yeah. but I mean, again, the, there's the tax, the taxes are a big issue. People who live there just, 
they love it, but they get hit hard. So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, I think in most of these though, like people aren't living there full time, so they don't have to deal, yeah. you know, with the income tax. What about Arizona? I mean, it's a desert. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> you want, you want scenery. Oh, that's the, yeah. Yeah. I know Arizona's got like cool places like Flagstaff and stuff. Those are, those are cool. What, Sedona or something. Yeah. Didn't the real estate guys, they didn't, they went to like, where did they go? You know, the real estate radio show. Didn't those guys go and develop like a. I have no idea. They went, they went to Belize. They went to Belize and they developed like a bunch of communities. I don't think a golf course, uh-huh. but it would be interesting to get connected with them and talk to them about, you know, what it was like because they're in the US, what it was like. They use their platform to get a lot of people to come over to Belize, to mm. buy into Belize, to invest in Belize. Be interesting to see what that was like because one of the things when you talk about beautiful scenery, like you said, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, those places are stunning. And maybe, maybe that is a place to to really think about and study and say, hey, I think some of my group can come in and invest there, right? That the radio, the real estate radio guys, they did that. They really did that. And then they, they would have big events in Belize and people would come and invest in their communities they were building. So Mm. something to study maybe or think about. Cause yeah, well we, um, so I'm buying in Costa Rica right now. So like beautiful, beautiful place. And, um, you know, I go to Mexico all the time. So I definitely like international, but I don't know. There's just like this thing in my mind that's like, well, dude, you've never done this before. So you should probably like do it in the lowest risk way possible, which, you know, stay stateside. But then again, you know, screw it, you know, like just, (laughs) just do it. And, you know, I had, um, what's it called? I had, uh, Jerome. Yeah. Jerome Maldonado on. And so we were talking about development. And one thing we were talking about was the politics of getting things approved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with you trying to annex into Bend, I'm sure there's just like all this politic crap you got to deal with. But I'm like, yeah, I guess in Latin America, it'd be way easy to get something approved. You know, it's just freaking pay the right guy and it's done. Yeah. See, now you're <laughs> thinking, right. I'm, I'm telling you, talk to those guys. Talk to those. Yeah. Talk to those guys. Talk to the real estate guys. I can't remember their name, but they did it. So yeah. they'll be able to tell you all the pain points. You could literally fast track your learning from all the pain points that mm-hmm. they had. And uh, yeah, the good thing, though, even though it's hard and it's red taped, et cetera, like the good thing about the U.S., just like you said, is there's zoning and development code. And the city, if you follow zoning and development code, they cannot stop you. That's just, that is just what it is. So they can, they can drag it out. They can be annoying. They can do all that. But as long as you follow the code and you're not trying to up zone or trying to rezone or trying to get a conditional use approval, if you can just take a piece of property and based on the zoning, do what's within their playbook, they can't block you. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah. Do you think you'll uh, build a golf course or anything? Right now, I'm focused on getting as much cash as I possibly can. And then I think I'll move into wanting to do legacy things on the, you know, uh, yeah. on, the, on the backside. Right now, I'm like, hey, analyzing, hey, what's my quickest path towards good cash, right? That's why you see me, that's why you, you'll see me move into that assisted living because I, I really believe there's a lot of opportunity that'll present itself there. And then, yeah, I mean, being able to... Would it, would it be a dream come true to develop a resort? Yeah, it's one of my things I've written down as a goal. I just think it'll be um, 10 to 15 years from now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is, and I'm glad you brought this up because I tell people this all the time. So many people want to build long-term wealth 
which is great. Everybody should. But they want to do it first. They're like, hey, I got to buy rentals now and start accumulating. Hey, I got to, you know, get the legacy thing done now. And it's like, no, dude, make some quick cash now because that's going to be, you know, number one, you got to live. So figure out what's going to pay you today. Number two, you're always going to need to make money. So like even if you have this legacy asset and stuff, odds are it's probably not even making you that much. You know, you can like you said, you're 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 you you just built an amazing 84 unit building. People would be like, dude, I'm done. You know, it's like, well, no, okay, you're still not even making that much money right now. You have to still figure out how to make some quick cash today doing something. And that's why, like, I'm always been a big advocate of flipping and wholesaling because I'm like, look, something's got to make the money today that you can just always count on, not, you know, a thing that could pay you five years from now. Yeah. Like, what can you do today? And that's like, even when I talk to developers, I'm like, guys, you got so many skills. You don't have to build every property you get. You know, what if you could be working on 10 of these entitlements at once? You're not going to take all 10 of them down. Take the best one you want and then go flip the rest of them and make that money. Yeah, it's it's good advice, and I agree. Right, we we always have to have multiple buckets because when one's going, if one's going bad, which inevitably it will, yep, got to rely on the other one. So yeah, it's a. How do you plan to scale out? Okay, here's the problem I I found though with development, and I thought I've thought about man, how do you like fix this problem? So like with flips and wholesales, it's very simple. Like as far as training staff and teaching them. But like, you know, the process of going through an entitlement and, you know, the skill that it takes. And I don't know, in my mind, I'm like, it's very, to me, it seems much harder to find the talent to be able to do that. Yeah. The good part about that is as the developer, you're just bringing the, the pieces of the puzzle together. Right. So mountain home, the civil engineers and the architects that we're using for the mountain home project in Idaho, different group than what we use in Oregon, right? So it's the way you scale it is we don't have to from a, if you look at like, and I don't know about your your friend, but if you look at the development side, what I like about scaling that is those are third party, right? I don't have to have the civil engineers in-house. I don't have to have the architects in-house. I don't have to have the general contractors in-house. I have to have the understanding of how to unlock a piece of land. I have to have the right pro formas, understand the market, and then I can bring all these third parties in to do all the work, right? They do all the work. They get the entitlements done. You oversee the plan of it, but they do all the entitlements. They do all the paperwork. They do. I, all yeah. The, I guess where I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about is just the acquisition side. Like right. how do you create such a robust acquisition team who can handle identifying lands, negotiating, entitling, yeah, that's a that's because it's like so creative. Yeah, you're you're a hundred percent correct on that. It that's that's the thing that me myself I'm working on. The best way I've been able to do it so far is just through relationship building, right? So who's the who I want to go into this market? Well, who's who's one of the names around here? Who who are the big real estate brokers around here who are selling land, right? And how do I build a trusting relationship with them so they know that we're serious because they don't want to waste their time, right? They're only paid on commission. So I would say that's the, through the real estate brokers, letting them do a lot of your acquisition work for you. But I I agree with you. That's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to to work on scaling. It it just takes time. Building relationships do take time. So. You know, it's, it's a really good point. And yeah, because like, you know, every land deal I've done freaking crushed it. Yeah. But I can't, I can't teach it. 
and replicate what I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because it was unique. It was, yeah, exactly. You had, you knew it. You had to take the pieces of the puzzle. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I enjoy it too because it's it's a creative thing. A house slip's not creative. It's like, okay, that's the house. All right, just freaking let's go. Just fix it and let's, you know. It's not, I mean, there's some nuance to it, but land is truly, yo, dude, this could be worth nothing. It could be worth millions depending on the idea. Could we, could you, for example, if you get really good at your buy box, could you have a good strong buy box and then have acquisition manager have have sales guys or you know have have people who understand that buy box go and properly like properly network with the areas you're targeting because it's all in the real estate brokers right that's where it's all in it's all yeah. in the real estate brokers 84 unit deal and 65 acre deal same broker, broker. Yeah. Right. So could you get a really good buy box, use your marketing, your, your ability for sales, et cetera, and go and build those relationships in the areas that are being targeted. That would be one way I would see scale being able to occur, but you'd have to be like anything, right? Super clear on what your buy box is. Beardy Brandon did it, right? He said like, I'm, uh, this is my exact buy box. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be, you know, and then he was able to wave across the entire United States and pick up I don't know what he's done now. Just he just exploded the thing. So yeah, we um well like for me, my buy box has been for my own personal residences. So I haven't yeah. been like looking, um, you know, for like oh this would be a great you know multifamily thing because yeah. it's not that's not what I'm looking for. And I think this is important for people to know is that it's it's good when you are looking for a specific thing. So I like that you're like, look, I'm hyper focused on this right now. I'm going to just focus on you know, my city and the areas around me. And I'm going to look for things I can develop assisted living and, you know, multifamily on, you know, for me, like my first land deal was buying, um, you know, a mountain that I wanted to build my dream home on. And so like, I knew it was so undervalued because guess what? I spent hours and hours and hours looking around the city for what I would want and it occurred to me how undervalued this particularly was compared to comps right next door selling for, you know, five times the price. And so, you know, I ended up getting this deal for 600 grand and right now it's listed for 5.5. Yeah. And so it's just like, <laughs> you know, like, and that was only a few years ago. Yeah. And same thing with this Costa Rica property. Like I was like, all right, I'm looking for a second home. I'm going to start just looking at land and yeah. like different countries now. I'm not even looking like. In Costa Rica specifically, I'm looking at, hey, as a rich person, where would I want to go like live as a second home? There's lots of options that rich people live in as far as international. And so I started looking at like Cabo. That was my first look. I'm like, Cabo, I love Cabo. It's freaking like two hours away flight from Vegas. It's great. And then I saw how expensive it was. I was like, dude, this is literally the same price as California. This is supposed to be Mexico. I thought it's cheap. Yeah. And it's not. Cabo is yeah. the same as California. Just you don't you can't get a loan. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, exactly. Or, so it's, or a tax write off. So it's even worse. Yeah, it's worse. And I was like, man, yeah. OK, Cabo ain't it. Yeah. So I start looking around and like I just start doing my own research. And that led me to the Dominican because yeah. I was in the Dominican um, a couple years ago. And I remember looking at the real estate and I was like, dude, this is only like a couple million bucks for like this massive mansion like on the beach. I was like, that's crazy because yeah. this weather's great. 
Everything's sick for 2 million bucks. Yeah, I'll do that. That same Cabo house is 20 million bucks. Exactly. So it opened my mind. And so I went to the Dominican, just kind of like observed and checked it out. And I understood kind of like just from having it focus on it, what it was. And I was ready to commit there. And then I just thought about it. And I was like, man, the only thing I don't like about the Dominican, me personally, is the travel. How long it takes. Yeah, because... You know, I got to go to Miami, which I already hate going to Florida because it's so far for me. Mm. It's like, that's five hours. Then the Dominicans, another like couple hours from there. So there's always a layover. And then like this particular community from that airport was another couple hours. So yeah. I'm like, dude, the, the commute is like brutal just to get there. So then my friend tells me about Costa Rica and I'm like, okay, you know, Costa Rica is much closer. You know, the commute's way easier. What is it? Um, I... I think it was like seven hours with us going to Houston or uh, to like Texas yeah. and then Texas direct there. Yeah. And if there is a direct, it'll be way I don't even know. It might end up being like four hours exactly. or something. Yeah. Right. So maybe one day there'll be a Vegas direct, which would be great. Or I'll just have a jet. So that'd be great too. So, but Costa Rica, you know, I went there and I'm like, okay, the weather's great. The time zone's great. It's quick. You know, I'm, I'm just going around the aisle. No, it's not an island. Sorry. I'm Dominican. Coast, yeah. um, I'm going around, uh, you know, just the the country. And I'm like, dude, this is actually like super tropical and it's cool. And, you know, by the time I just looked at the prices and everything, I was like, all right, this is a deal. I know like there's other basically I think from my own perspective, I'm like, I know there's other people like me who like these kinds of communities, like golf, are looking for this exact product. And I know they're going to look at the same things I look at because that's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, they're going to see that this is way undervalued yep. for what you get for the price compared to other countries. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, like even right now that that land, it's locked up. You know, I've got, you know, multiple six figures in EMD on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's very different. But I I know I could flip it now for over seven figures of, of profit. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I still might, you know, like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't, whatever, I don't know. It's whatever you decide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the point. And I just kind of looked at it and I'm like, but there's no way I could have ever like made that a business. Cause I know what the guy like me exactly. wants, who's yeah. going to buy this. Yeah. That's hard to scale. I agree with you through and through. But one thing I think we just found out is Costa Rica has got to be on the list of at least places you're looking to develop your course, man. Cause yeah. Oh bro. Costa Rica is legit. Yeah, yeah. I like Costa Rica a lot. Yeah. Um, I like Mexico a lot too. I just think not Cabo. <laughs> yeah. Cabo is like already, I like, I love Cabo, but it's like, it's not undervalued anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, People it's, know it's done 20 years ago. Maybe is a different story so, for sure. Right. Well, bro, um, it's exciting what you're doing. Um, super grateful for the kind words. I'm excited. We're going to go golf tomorrow. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, um, and it's going to be just cool to see what you do these coming years with development and finding these deals. And I think my biggest advice to you would be figure out how to scale what I just told you. I couldn't figure out how to scale because I think your buy box is very different than you know, the guy looking for a second home buy box. I think if you can just replicate you on finding these, you know, these land deals for annexing or for assisted living, dude, you'll freaking crush it. It's good advice. I'll, I'm a, I'll take it up and yeah, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. 
But guys, if you want to connect with Dirk, we'll link to his Instagram down below. Maybe you want to invest with him. Maybe you want to partner with him. Maybe you want to learn from him. Great dude who's willing to help. So go check him out and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Good job, dude. That was good. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, you built a crazy thing, dude. Good job. Dude, I'm trying, man. Where'd the name come from? With Momentize? Yeah. We, uh, I was on a run, and I was like, hey, what does Momentize do for me? Or what does running do for me? And I was like, oh, it momentizes me. And sort of <laughs> Just some fake word? Yeah, fake word. I made it up. <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, it momentizes me. Yeah, that's what we did. So. Yeah, Is this cuts? Yeah. 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 So you just made a cuts it, one. I told you, dude, to look yeah. up to you, man. So it's just a, get yeah. the cuts, get the yeah, that's right. The cuts does it the best. Yeah, they do, yeah. You got the, but I don't have no tats. Yeah, it's alright. Tats. <laughs> you don't need. You don't need the tats. I need to get tatted up, dude. <laughs> Sweet. That was, yeah, that was good, man. Thank you. Once you do one home, you know you never want to do one again because it's a waste of time. You want to do a minimum of two at a time. You got to build a business model that's recession proof. People try to push deals and they try to convince themselves that it's a good deal, even if it's not. The shortest cycle in real estate would be wholesale.